Well, hi there, and welcome to a fresh episode of Show Me the Crypto. This week, we chat with Navin Vaithanayagam about all things IQ.wiki, and then we get into the intersection of blockchain and artificial intelligence. Alf, what did you make of this conversation? Oh, it was super interesting. We got to talk to Navin all about the start of IQ.wiki, which originally was this Web2 classic Wikipedia type product, but over the course of that timeline, it's evolved, you know, almost 180 and it has adopted blockchain technology and become IQ.wiki in what it is today, which there's the IQ token, there's the brain DAO, there's all this adoption from and focus on blockchain and crypto now, which was super interesting. And then further in the sort of the latter half of our conversation, we talked all about the intersection of AI and blockchain tech, because that's something that their team is also incorporating with IQ.wiki. And that whole part of it got into also like, where's it gonna go in the future? And, and it was super interesting. Yeah. As- all said it was it was really an interesting episode because with this first half was talking about the timeline or the evolution of iq.wiki the second half we get into the dynamics of blockchain technology how it's going to intersect with artificial intelligence navin had some ideas of how the two could combine in the future that that we hadn't even thought of and we really think you're going to enjoy this episode of show me the crypto Show me the crypto. <laughs> Show me the crypto. <laughs> Show me the crypto. In a world on the brink of disruption, two men will bring you clarity by interviewing some of the most intelligent and influential names in the blockchain world. Welcome to Show Me the Crypto with your hosts. Wade Patterson and Ulf Lonegren. Well, hi there, and welcome to Show Me the Crypto. My name is Wade Patterson. And I'm Ulf Lonegren. We're a couple of friends from Canada who love learning about cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, and we're happy you're along for the ride. Whether you're a crypto virgin or you know your way around the block, we hope our interviews with some of the most intelligent and influential people in the blockchain space help deliver you with value. And on this episode, we're joined by Navin Vaithanayagam, Chief Brain at IQ.wiki. Hailing from Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, Navin graduated from the Ivy Business School at Western University before joining Everypedia in 2016 as the company's sixth team member. Everypedia has since evolved into IQ.wiki, which is the world's largest blockchain and cryptocurrency encyclopedia. Navin, welcome to Show Me the Crypto. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're excited to have you on, and we're going to jump into a lot of different things, but before we get there... It's rare that we have a fellow Canadian on the pod hailing from Ottawa. And so where I want to start this is how do you find that the crypto scenes differ? So you're currently based in L.A. How is the L.A. crypto scene different than the Ottawa crypto scene? <laughs> it's kind of funny. So like in Ottawa, I never really like I, I actually moved. So I actually went to school in London. So London, Ontario, I used to go, go to Ivy Business School there. And uh, there, I think it was starting, crypto was kind of starting. And like, you know, Ottawa is kind of interesting because I actually learned about crypto 
I didn't really learn about it. But I first heard about crypto when I was in Ottawa, actually, funny enough, because um, the interesting thing about Ottawa is, you know, it's a little bit of a tech hub. It's not, not I wouldn't say, you know, on the same level as LA in places, but um, it's definitely a little bit of a tech hub. You know, back in the day, there was Nortel, uh, RIM had a big office there, obviously. Um, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of development that goes on in Ottawa. And my father actually worked in startups in Ottawa. Um, so, you know, the school I used to go to, there was everyone, almost everyone, their dad was like an engineer and a lot of kids, like their parents were into tech, they were into computer science and things like that. So actually, yeah, it's funny. I actually learned about crypto while I was in high school talking to some friends and they were telling me about, they had just bought Bitcoin on BTCE for $20. And like, I remember like looking it up because I heard about TechCrunch and I was like, wait, what? I got to put my like parents credit card on like this site in like eastern europe <laughs> to buy some bitcoin i was like maybe not but i thought the idea was cool i was like this is a cool idea but it was a little bit hard as a teenager to buy bitcoin especially back then uh but yeah no it's a, it's a Ottawa is really interesting that way because there's a lot of uh, a lot of engineers a lot of tech a lot of tech people i think the scene in la is a lot different because i think the scene in la is really interesting because you have a lot of crossover with entertainment and art because one thing with crypto, especially with the NFT space, you know, so much of it is based on NFTs, the art industry and all of that. So a lot of that is kind of mixed into the culture in L.A., which I think is really cool. There's a lot of meetups, a lot of events around NFTs. And then also you got a lot of DeFi people uh, in L.A. as well. I think, you know, L.A. is just a huge hub. And I think what makes it more interesting, I think, than a place like the Bay is because you have so many different industries working together. Like you have people in finance in LA, people in crypto, people in art, people in entertainment, people in fashion. So you get a lot of different crossover, which is one of the, my favorite things about LA. Nice. And you were just basically telling us how you were introduced to crypto, but that was maybe surface level and just a little bit about your friends getting into it. When did you actually dip your toes in and start getting more familiar or invested with crypto? And like, what was your initial impressions after you sort of like dove in? Yeah, so I really got into crypto around 2016, because that's when I first joined Everpedia. And I really hadn't thought about crypto that much since like, you know, hearing about it in high school. And then once I was working at Everpedia, uh, some of the founders, they were really into crypto. Like I remember Sam was telling us, so Sam Kazimian founded Everpedia and then he also founded Frax Finance. Uh, but, you know, early on we were talking and he told me the story about how he actually got into crypto was that he mined Dogecoin to pay his tuition at UCLA. <laughs> yes. So like uh, people were always talking about it and like, uh, I remember like, that's how like, we kind of got into it a little bit. And that, when I first joined the market was really low. And like, I think it wasn't, you know, that big of a thing. And we kind of always thought about crypto, but we never really knew like how it's going to work with our site. And, uh, then I remembered things started really heating up around like 2017, 2018, going to the whole ICO craze. And like, we were all just trying to buy ICOs and like, we were all <laughs> getting really into it. You know, everyone was having fun with that. And then, uh, I remember we kind of thought like, you know, maybe there's some sort of application, but we kind of, it took a couple more months and we kind of realized that, uh, cryptocurrency could be really useful for incentivization. So Back then, Everpedia was like an encyclopedia for everything, and we didn't really see the use case for blockchain, but we kind of 
what we did end up seeing was that we could use it for governance because one of the things that we wanted to differentiate ourselves was we wanted to make sure things were transparent. So in general, with a lot of sites, you know, web two across the board, whether it's, you know, Wikipedia, Twitter, Facebook, nobody really knows who's making the decisions, like who's making the call on the rules, who's making the call on the moderation, you know, obviously at the end of the day, it comes back to the shareholders but we don't really know, you know, from that level, we don't really know on who's making decisions, right? Um, in fact, that was one of the huge issues at Twitter was that, you know, even the CEO didn't know what was going on. Jack Dorsey was talking about how he didn't know what was going on. So I think one of the best solutions of blockchain is having every decision made on chain. So, you know, with Everypedia, what we did was we moved everything on chain so that every edit was recorded on chain, which gives real transparency. And then you can see, uh, and then also people are able to vote on the rules. So like our token holders are able to stake their tokens and make votes on what the rules should be on. Like, you know, originally we had every single edit people voted on, but I think that was like too intensive. It was like, it was like complete direct democracy and that wasn't practical. So now everything's run through the DAO and we have votes on snapshot in general concepts. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of how we kind of got into it. And of course, the biggest thing was that Bruce draw us in, drew us in was incentivization and using the token to incentivize our editors. It's kind of funny because we used, uh, we used to have this thing called IQ points. So when you edited, so when you contributed, you get IQ points, but they weren't like, they were literally just points. They were just just a signifier and they didn't have any use case or any value. And that's kind of how we got the name for the IQ token. Hmm. So I want to dive more into kind of that timeline and, and, and history from, you know, when you started implementing blockchain technology, because my understanding that was late 2017, it was announced, and then into 2018, yeah. you started doing that. Um, but just on the sense of the having kind of like the democratization of deciding what goes in there, was there ever any issues of that like not equating to like reliable information and i'm trying to think of a possibility of how that could happen but maybe there was like a whale token holder who you know thought it'd be funny to just put out like <laughs> false pages or something like that like did that ever happen or was that ever a concern of yours taking that approach it was definitely a concern it never really happened that people put uh, it was definitely something that everyone was concerned about. And it's like one of the most frequent questions. Like it definitely is something that comes into your mind. We kind of figure that it's not going to be too much of an issue because most people like you have to be pretty committed to go and buy the IQ token to go and like start editing. You have to be kind of committed. So you're usually not, you know, it's not going to be your 12 year old vandal who's like, you know, <laughs> messing around on Wikipedia. They're not going to go and edit Wikipedia and spam it and stuff. But we did actually do, we did have some issues. Um, and the main one was that basically, since we were having every single edit go up for vote, um, you know, and every single edit was incentivized. So you would earn IQ tokens on like every, each edit automatically based on the voting on each edit. Mm -hmm. It became kind of a mess because you had so many different votes going on. And then people wouldn't do misinformation. But what weirdly what they would do is like, they'd have like a period and they just submit it. And then they would vote on it and try and get the reward. Um, so that's why we kind of moved to a different model with IQ.wiki and we started using Snapshot and the BrainDAO. And, you know, that way you have people voted in and you have things like, you know, the structures voted on, but you don't have every single little thing going to vote. So you have, you know, stronger management and it's it's easier to run things that way. 
So can you dive into a little bit, um, into that a little bit further in terms of, because that's what I understand. There were some significant changes. One was moving to Polygon. One was the rebranding to IQ.wiki. You just mentioned BrainDAO. So when did all of those things happen and why? Yeah, so it was all kind of a progressive change. So around 2018 was the whole, the very beginning of the blockchain stuff. And, you know, moving on to the chain, uh, airdropping our token and launching the token. And then what we saw was really interesting, which was like that everyone started moving towards blockchain content. You know, everyone was writing about blockchain content. And then we're kind of like thinking to ourselves, like, hmm, maybe we should shift in that direction. And we started slowly shifting, like, you know, we changed the homepage and like put a lot of blockchain pages on it. And it just kind of small stuff like that. And then we realized like, we should really double down and like specify, like, you know, focus on this niche of crypto because, you know, it's not going to be a niche for long. It's going gonna, it's gonna to grow a lot. And we saw that, right? The market has grown so much since 2018, uh, you know, multiples. And we realized that, you know, it's a lot better to just focus on a more niche market and grow with it versus trying to be an encyclopedia of everything because it's just too much content. And you don't, and it makes more sense because one of the great benefits of you know tailoring it to blockchain is that later on we were able to add on really unique features. So for example, like we integrate CoinGecko, like if you go to the board API code page, you can search up the floor price of any NFT, uh, which is pretty cool. You'll see the floor price, you'll see the market cap, the volumes. Um, you can also type in like an NFT ID and get the NFT. Mm-hmm. So we were able to do a lot of interesting features on that. Um, yeah, so that's kind of how we got into that. And another sort of area that Wade was touching on was like the move to Polygon and uh, and yeah. the adoption of, of blockchain tech. And so obviously with Polygon, there's benefits there with transaction speed and lower gas costs. Was that one of the main reasons for moving to uh, moving over to that layer two? Yeah, absolutely. So there was two main reasons. So one of the things we wanted was exactly we wanted the low gas cost. We wanted the you know transaction speed uh, because even though we don't store everything on chain, you still need a fast blockchain. You need a scalable blockchain for people to be able to edit and to use the site. And you know you don't want to be paying five dollars gas every single time you want to make an edit. Uh, so yeah, that's one of the main reasons we chose Polygon. The other main reason is why we chose Polygon over other solutions. Um, is that we really want to be in the EVM ecosystem. We want to be in the Ethereum ecosystem. Um, so, for example, you can build a lot, because there's so much tooling already built around the Ethereum ecosystem. So, for example, we have an ENS integration. So if you log into the site, your ENS will automatically pop up as your username. It's really cool, because like in the feed, all your edits, uh, your ENS will show up there. Hmm. Um, so that's the two big reasons why we chose Polygon. And you mentioned that like not everything is stored on chain, which begs the question, what like what information is stored on chain? What makes IQ Wiki different from Wikipedia, which is not at all on chain? You know, what information is stored on chain and how does the actual sort of process of adding information and getting it approved? You mentioned a couple of times that that at one point was every single edit and it's not anymore. So what is it today and how does that sort of mechanism work? Yeah. So what happens is, so when you go to make an edit, um, exactly, it's not possible to store everything on chain. So what we do is that 
the images and the data itself is stored on IPFS. So that's a decentralized way of storing, uh, decentralized way of storing information. And then the other thing that we do is that what we do put on chain is a hash. So every edit, there's a hash, and then you can refer that hash to IPFS and you'll see the data. Um, so that way you can, you have, because really what's important with these hashes and these transactions is you want to have a record of every edit. And that's what this allows us to do. So every edit is recorded on chain. So you can see those transactions. So you can see who's making the edit, uh, you know, which address. And then you can also see uh, the hash that corresponds to all the data. So that way you're able to, you know, securely show every transaction, every edit without having everything go on the blockchain, which would be, you know, incredibly expensive. One of the things I found interesting about the timeline is that there were two significant pivots that happened and both happened right at the start of bear markets. So if you look at the decision to, you know, to move on to, to blockchain, the focus on blockchain, that happened in 2018. Of course, we know the, the beginning of a long crypto winter. And then in 2022, the decision to rebrand from Everypedia to IQ.wiki. So my question is that, or were those was that a good thing or a bad thing, the sense that both of those significant changes happened right in a bear market? I think, uh, yeah, I think one of the good thing about our team is that we always build. As you can see, you know, whether the market's going strong or going low, uh, we always keep building. And that's why we've been in this space for so long. And then, yeah, it, honestly, it was really funny. That's kind of reminded me of like, I remember when we first raised, so we raised like, I think it was around $30 million from Galaxy Digital. And we received like, you know, the first couple million dollars in crypto. And I just remember we went out for dinner and like during the dinner, the market started crashing. Oh, no. And we started like thinking about like, like no more wine. Like, Stop yeah. ordering yeah. bottles yeah. of wine. Yeah. A million yeah. turns into yeah. 800,000 yeah. pretty quick. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> during the dinner, like, it was like, um, that's hilarious. but you know, that's how crypto is. Like, you know, it's such a volatile market, but you know, in some ways that kind of makes it exciting. Um, and I think, yeah, I mean, I think the the main thing is that, you know, we just keep building no matter what, you know, whether the market's going down or it's going up, we got to keep building, we got to keep putting stuff out. And, you know, the way like, honestly, yeah, it does get like, it is really a bummer when you see that market going down when you feel like, oh, man, everything I do, like nothing is helping. But like, that's what really sets you up for the next run, right? So all that work that we put in um, really set us up for the for the next run, which is kind of when we got started with BrainDAO, once we started changing the tokenomics, and then we really saw the benefits of all of those changes. And then again, I think some of the work we're doing now is going to set us up for the future. And I want to get into BrainDAO and, and better understand that. But first off, something else that you've touched on is the IQ tokens. And you talked about how um, the IQ tokens originally, uh, at least they were named the IQ token thanks to these IQ points that you used to have when people would edit and they would sort of garner these reputation points. What is the purpose of the IQ token today in its current form? Is it still basically the same type of system or is this the kind of thing where someone might want to go out and just buy some IQ tokens if they want to support the project or feel like, is there an investment um, sort of angle at all for potential for people to potentially get into, or is it purely a reward mechanism for, you know, participating as an editor? So the cool thing about the IQ token is there is basically a way for everyone in crypto to get involved. 
Um, so, for example, if you're interested in the site and you're interested in governance, you know, if you stake your IQ tokens, you receive high IQ, which kind of represents how much IQ tokens you've staked. So, for example, if you stake one IQ for four years, you'll get four high IQ. Um, and that represents your stake, kind of your voting power, basically an incentive to get people involved in the long term. Uh, so you don't have basically like mercenary kind of people moving into the token right. and just voting. Um, so but the also the cool thing is, so, yeah, I mean, uh, one of the things that's interesting there is that we also have IQ token rewards based on your high IQ balance. So, again, to reward people for locking up and for getting involved in governance, you know, for getting into the token um, and, you know, reducing the circulating supply. Uh, so that's one of the cool things. We, we do have a staking mechanism. And the technology around that is that basically it's based off of Curve. Uh, so you probably heard of VRC, VC, VECRV um, and their model. And uh, we use that same model and basically the same model that also VEFXS, so Frax use the same model. And then we use that same tech to build high IQ. So that's our staking platform. Um, right now, actually, um the our you know our community kind of media organization is called iq times so it's not affiliated with the company itself but actually that was one of our grant recipients from braindow and they're running a raffle right now so there's about 40 nfts uh designed by a korean artist and they're up for raffle so basically if you stake high iq you stake iq uh you are automatically entered in and each high IQ point you have, so basically your high IQ balance counts as like one entry into this raffle. Hmm. And so to touch on that brain now, obviously this plays a role because you could just pick up IQ tokens, I'm presuming just to, to sort of... Um, you know, take part in the brain now. Is that how that works? Is Can anybody be a member or is there yeah, something more yeah. to sort of that, how that works? Yeah, so we just, yeah, so BrainDAO, basically everyone who holds IQ tokens, we consider them a member of BrainDAO. And if you want to vote, you, all you need to do is you need to stake your IQ tokens and you receive rewards for that. So if you do hold IQ tokens, definitely go for it and stake uh, because, yeah, you'll get some rewards for it because you're already holding the token and uh, you'll be able to vote on governance decisions, also kind of different treasury decisions. So, for example, um, you know, people can vote on tokenomics as well. So all these, any major change that happens to the token or to the site or to governance, all of that can be voted on by the token holders. And anyone who holds the tokens, you know, you're always welcome to create your own proposal and post it on a snapshot and, you know, everyone can vote on it. One of the most recent things on the timeline, kind of going down this timeline, is the integration of ChatGPT, which happened earlier this year in the embracing of artificial intelligence. So how is IQ.Wiki using AI? Yeah, so kind of how we got started into AI was that we saw ChatGPT was exploding. We saw 100 million users like in a week, and we were like, this is really cool because we had always thought we need AI to make it easier for people to contribute because that's one of the main challenges. Like it's not easy to contribute to an encyclopedia. Um, even with Wikipedia, there's a lot of issues like, you know, it's, it takes a lot of time to get all the citations and everything. So we figured, hey, AI might be a really good solution to reduce some of the time and make it easier for people who are really busy, like subject matter, matter experts to get involved and contribute their knowledge. So, you know, we were kind of thinking, what's the best way to integrate it? And like, we didn't want to do like, you know, just put something crazy out there. Like we're going to build, you know, something amazing, like something huge and, you know, just vaporware. We wanted to do something real. So we saw a really unique application, which was to summarize the pages because, you know, you need a little summary for every search engine result. 
So every time you, you know, search for an IQ Wiki page, they'll come up and search and there'll be a little description and that has to be written by someone. And it's kind of a hassle. You know, it's always a bit of a hassle. I'm sure you guys have to write a lot of content. Um, and sometimes the summaries are actually the hardest part because you have to distill everything you wrote. Mm. Uh, but for an AI, it's really easy for them to do that, uh, especially. And it's nice because um, one of the things that we always worry about right, is hallucinations. Right. So we didn't want to write right away, have like AIs write an entire page because, you know, we don't want there to be fake information, false information going out to people. But it's very accurate for summaries because you're only just using the information that somebody already wrote. Um, so it's pretty reliable for summaries. And that's kind of how we first started using it. So if you're editing a page and you create a page, all you need to do is, you know, just if there's a button where you just say generate summary uh, and it will generate the summary with GPT-4. So now then this episode is going to be released on the week of July 31st, probably Monday, July 31st. My understanding is that in this week, there's going to be an announcement that IQ.Wiki has. Can you give us any sort of teasers of what this new AI feature is going to be all about? Yeah, I'm happy to share with you guys. So uh, our new product is going to be really exciting. So um, this is going to be the big thing. So I, I was talking about this was, kind of, you know, I, the, we were kind of dipping our toes in with the summaries. But what we're really exciting about is like we saw how people are using ChatGPT instead of search. Like, for example, instead of just searching up, you know, uh, who started a company or who created something, you know, and just Googling it and then having to go through 15 million results, you can just ask ChatGPT and, and get an answer right away. But the frustrating thing is that often the answers are inaccurate, uh, you're getting weird answers. There's no way to check the answers. That's the most frustrating for me is like you ask a question, you get an answer and you don't know if it's real. And then now I have to Google and check if the answer is legit. And now I've used up more time than if I just asked Google. Uh, so uh, we kind of wanted to build something that's a lot better of a solution. So what we're building is an AI solution where people can ask questions specifically about uh, crypto queries. So for example, you know, you can ask like, uh, when did when was Binance founded? Uh, when did Bitcoin hit its all time high? Uh, you know, what was the all time high in 2020? Um, different questions like that. And you can get an answer really quickly um, instead of having to sort through CoinGecko and go and look through the little graph and try and find the peaks. Uh, you could just ask, uh, you know, our upcoming AI product. And the idea there is to draw on our database of wikis. So we have thousands of wikis about crypto. But we're also integrating live news uh, as well as data sources, things like CoinGecko. You're going to see crypto news sites as well. Um, you know, maybe things like AP News, things like, uh, you know, CoinNest in Asia, stuff like that is going to be integrated into the site. And you're going to be able to ask, ask questions about recent news, about token prices and, you know, kind of all the interesting, useful data. That's super cool. And it sounds like the way that you combat false information is because it's all pulling from your source of sort of approved information. But how does that work when you get into that other territory you're talking about of like pulling from different news sources and things like that? Doesn't that sort of open the door again for, you know, potentially inaccurate information? It definitely does. That's why we're, the focus is on making sure that the sources are reliable. So, you know, using sources that are, you know, relatively well known and things that are mainstream, you know, for example, everyone's using CoinGecko, um, things that are kind of mainstream and people know, but also 
part of it is being transparent. So we'd say where the data is from. So you will say, you know, for example, if it, the data, you know, let's say you ask who founded Binance, it says CZ and links to his wiki, it will say original source, uh, CZ's IQWiki page. Or for example, if it's a numbers question, you know, you ask about token price, it will say original source CoinGecko. That way you can just go and double check and you say, hey, maybe, you know, or maybe for whatever reason you say, I don't trust CoinGecko, then you know that that answer is from CoinGecko and you can get it from another source. Um, right. So I think that's part of that solution in building the trust. And is this an extension of IQWiki or is this like a new product altogether by the IQWiki team kind of thing? You know, like, will you go to IQ.wiki in order to use this new uh, product? So it will be in many ways a new product. So it'll have its own site and it's, it is a new product but it will be very based on the site. So it really draws on the site. So kind of, you know, one of the things is we could even see people, you know, because for example, like you have to go and read through the wikis to get, like, if you just have a quick question, yeah. we kind of see this as the evolution of the site. So maybe even maybe going into the future, maybe IQ Wiki will really kind of just become a back end, and the front end that everyone uses will be IQGBT. So in that way, they're highly linked. So basically, you, the way I would say is like to see it is IQ Wiki is what powers IQGPT, and IQGPT could really be the face of the company and the product. So when we're talking about artificial intelligence, I mean, we're still in such early innings. You think about, you know, you mentioned that 100 million users feet being reached within a matter of days. That was last November. So that was less than than a year old. So I would imagine being one of the first crypto companies to be utilizing this type of technology. There's probably some some big rewards in the sense that you're ahead of the curve but what challenges have you experienced from from trying to utilize ChatGPT? The main challenge is really the reliability and ensuring that you get reliable answers. So I'll give you an example. Is like, for example, we were trying to do categories. So for example, to me, it's very obvious to ask, like, you know, what are the top ten meme coins today? But that's actually a very hard question for the AI because, um, you know, it has to go and check CoinGecko. And then CoinGecko, they don't, for example, maybe they call it meme coins instead of meme, they call it meme tokens instead of meme coins, mm -hmm. and that can create confusion. So you have to go in there and categorize and tag things. So that's one of the tricky things is there's actually, a, there's a lot of testing and there's kind of a lot of work that needs to be done. So we do spend a lot of time testing it and having our brained out editors and kind of team test the product and kind of give feedback to the devs and go back and update. And that's one of the big challenges. Another challenge, I think, we're trying to also expand to multiple languages. Mm -hmm. So at launch, we'll have English and Korean, but we want to have more languages as well in the future. And that's always a bit tricky, especially with crypto, because so many terms, they are so new that maybe they're only used in English. And then some terms are also translated and it can get a little tricky. So I would say the main challenges are kind of, a lot of it is around reliability, especially in the crypto niche. So for example, ChatGPT, they're not gonna come and like think about specifically CoinGecko. That's kind of one of the unique advantages that our product offers is that we are tailoring it specifically to crypto. One of our recent guests, Joan Westenberg, who publishes the index, we asked the question of what will be the the trend to be paying attention? Like basically, what should people be paying attention to now that's going to dominate? 
the next bull run. And, you know, we already talked about ICO craze in 2017. Uh, there was DeFi summer 2020, NFTs 2021. And so like trying to identify and Joan said AI, the convergence of AI mm -hmm. and, and specifically said NFTs will dominate the next bull run. Do you agree with that? And whether or not, how do you think AI will dominate kind of the greater crypto industry? I would agree in the sense of AI convergence. I think AI is going to be huge in crypto. I think I could do see applications in the NFT, but I'm not sure if that's going to be the main kind of game changer because I think AI is going to be quite interesting with NFTs and the design side and customization side. And there's a lot of interesting stuff that can be done there. But I think what's really, I think, kind of longer term, what's really going to be huge is these kind of agents. Because uh, one thing that's interesting is that people are having, you know, agent AIs where they can create their own prompts and answer their own questions. And like, in theory, you could really build a whole business um, all run by an agent. Um, but one of the main challenges with that is that AIs, they don't have IDs, uh, they don't have credit cards, uh, they can't set up bank accounts, but in theory, they could use cryptocurrency. Mm -hmm. So I think that could be kind of long-term something that's really exciting. Um, I see a lot of points of convergence for AI and crypto. I see another one that's interesting is training. So training AI models, is it takes a lot of people. It's something we're kind of going through is that, you know, you need a lot of people to test the product. You need a lot of feedback. Um, and one potential there is, you know, using like token or in general, people using cryptocurrency to incentivize the training of models and the development of models. Because that's another big issue right now that I'm seeing with AI is that things are quite centralized. You know, you have really only a couple big players. You got open AI. Google has got their own platform. You do see a lot of open source development and stuff, but there's not a lot of incentives for that. And it's challenging, you know, with the cost of all these chips and things. So I think one interesting aspect could be the use of cryptocurrency incentives for open AI training. We had on the show a while back, uh, really kind of ahead of the curve on on the whole AI front and on the subject of converging with uh, blockchain and NFT technologies was uh, Aletheia AI. And uh, if you haven't heard of that project, it's essentially kind of what you're talking about where they are mixing PFP style NFTs uh, with this training model of different personalities and so you can get the nft and then you can go through training with it where you talk to it back and forth and and essentially train it to think or act or be a certain way and sort of impart these personalities on it but it leads to this whole sort of like where does where do you go from there and and we've had other conversations about you know does do ai nfts at some point become this sort of like agent if you will uh you know or like your your personal ai your personal os who uh, you know does things for you and you own them and their their whole being lives in this nft so what are your thoughts on that sort of idea and maybe where that could go in the future i think it's really interesting i think yeah i think that's one of the really things that's exciting is the customization that ai offers 
So for example, I think, yeah, creating custom NFTs is really interesting, especially ones that kind of can evolve with you as you learn and kind of, it can also be really useful for education on the, on your, like, for example, it depends on your learning style, it could adapt. I think that's what we're going to see is really useful because I think that's one of the, one of the challenges sometimes in understanding concepts in crypto is that sometimes the, you know, for example, if I, you know, if I'm talking about a certain term, it's going to be in, you know, in what I find relevant. So for example, you know, a lot of NFT people play video games. So, you know, we use a lot of NFT video game analogies, but if you don't play any video games, maybe that's not a useful analogy. So maybe AIs can offer a lot of customers, customizability that way. So for example, maybe you're someone who trades baseball cards, maybe the NFTs, that NFT terminology is putting to the context of baseball cards, for example. And I think there's going to be, yeah, there's going to be a ton of value there. The other big thing that I think is not really specific to crypto, but I think is going to be huge for crypto is uh, breaking down, breaking down the language barriers. Because uh, right now, if you don't speak English, it's hard to get involved in the space where a lot of people, you know, the generally, let's see, most of the development and it kind of a lot of the interest is in English. It can be challenging for people to get involved. And also, like, it's challenging for people who only speak English, like myself, to get into, like, for example, the Korean market and understand that because, you know, everyone is doing development and NFTs. They're all speaking Korean and writing everything in Korean. But I think one of the great aspects of AI is that uh, it's going to offer much, much better translation than what we currently have. And, you know, maybe even in real time, be able to, people will be able to contribute and work together, whether it's community building, storytelling, uh, in addition to development and all that stuff will be able to be done together. And I think it's going to make the crypto ecosystem a lot more diverse and a lot more broad. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. I hadn't thought about that one. One thing that's that's really interesting to me is that when it comes to social media, today people have a difficult time deciphering what's truth versus what's what's not real information. And and it's not, I mean, in some instances it's maybe a little bit tricky, but this is when it's pretty easy you know like you look at a sketchy url that's like www.extremeleftorrightwing.com or something like that and it's like oh maybe this is a biased story you know you can kind of but but still many people are sharing out that information and and you kind of get it because these social media algorithms are kind of basing the information that's going to them on some of their predisposed beliefs. And so that creates each person's kind of reality. So what what kind of scares me going forward is that if that's what's happening when it's pretty easy to decipher, once we get into the realm of things like deep fake videos and things like, no, I saw a video of this person saying this, like that is proof and it's actually much harder it seems like there may be an opportunity there for for blockchain to help decipher that authenticity. What are your thoughts on that? And and how do you think blockchain will will tactically kind of help with that issue? I definitely see blockchain as a really perfect solution for a lot of these issues around deep fakes because it allows you to verify transactions. So for example, one of the really big issues right now is all these Twitter hacks, because, you know, 
you know, even if you trust the source, so like, let's say, you know, I trust Yuga Labs Twitter, right? They have their verified Twitter. Sometimes, sadly, they get hacked, right? And then people are sending out these phishing links and maybe those attacks, they're starting to get more, uh, more, you know, more and more complex and more and more sophisticated. And, you know, right now it's pretty easy to tell, but in the future, it could be harder and harder to tell. And a lot of people are still falling for it because they see it. They're like, oh, man, I got to get this mint before, you know, this is like a limited drop or whatever. And they got it in their head that they got to get it. But I think one quick way I think that maybe people could, you know, solve this issue is that, you know, if you're doing a drop, maybe you have some sort of signature, some blockchain signature, so you can check it on Etherscan. It's like, oh, okay, so this is actually from Yuga Labs ETH address. And, uh, you know, obviously that can still be hacked, but it's much, much less likely, for example, you know, you have that address on a multi-sig, uh, you maybe have the core Yuga team, a couple of guys on it, and they have to sign off on it uh, for every, you know, major launch. And that way, I think you could mitigate a lot of these issues. That's something we actually did back in the 2020 election. Uh, so we partnered with the Associated Press and we put the election on the Ethereum blockchain uh, for the first time. And the goal there was really to show there's a way of, you know, verifying, uh, you know, it was, it was one thing was a landmark for Ethereum, but also I think it's a solution for showing like where data is from. So AP set up their own Ethereum address and they published that online. So people knew, hey, this is their Ethereum address. Mm -hmm. So actually it's still up on if you, you know, if you search up elections API associated press. Um, so it's up there. And then basically they use that specific address to sign off on every race call. So let's say they call North Carolina, uh, you know, or they call Arizona for Biden, for example, then they would uh, sign that on chain. So then people, you know, instead of having to trust a front end that could be hacked, like, you know, going to their website or going to CNN or Fox or, you know, whatever news you follow, you could actually go to any block explorer and check that it's been signed by the actual AP address. And uh, a lot of people didn't get it, but the whole point was to show like, because it's kind of funny because a lot of people were like, hey, why are you guys saying, you know, this guy won? Like, you know, what's your business? Like, what do you know about elections? <laughs> it's like, yeah, I don't I don't know. I'm not the one you know, checking the data itself. Uh, but with our Oracle's product, what we did is we're not saying that we think, <laughs> big, uh, you know, Biden won Arizona or whatever state. Uh, we're saying, you know, we're not even saying it. AP is using our product to sign and show that they believe that, you know, Biden won Arizona. And what's cool is that what's, you know, irrefutable is that that's what happened. You know, you can't dispute, uh, you know, you can dispute, you know, whoever won, but you can't dispute that AP said that. Hmm. And I think that's one thing that's really interesting, especially we use it for prediction markets. Um, another thing that could be really interesting is similarly um, using it for, you know, basketball, for example, there's a lot of these kind of unique events where, the event is not necessarily determined by, you know, you don't need a decentralized consensus about who won a basketball game. Uh, you know, even though like, for example, Chainlink, you know, they use a decentralized consensus, which is very useful for things like price, right? Uh, the prices have, you know, for example, price of Bitcoin, there'll be a, you know, a bunch of different exchanges and you'll want, you know, a whole bunch of different validators. But for example, for an NBA game, or for example, who won the Oscars or who won the Super Bowl? There actually is a body that's centralized that decides that. Um, so in fact, so it's you could actually just have them sign a transaction to say, hey, 
uh, these are the guys who won the NFL game. These are the guys who won the NBA games. So I could see, really see blockchain being used by a lot of major organizations to sign off and show, hey, we really said this, rather than people, you know, using fake videos and, um, you know, spoofing websites, hacking websites. I think we're going to need that in the future. And you've talked about how IQ.wiki has figured out how to implement AI into your blockchain product. But what would you say to other blockchain projects that exist in regards to how they can or or should they even be bothering, you know, thinking about ways to implement AI into their project? Is that something that everybody should be doing or is it like if there's not a need, there's not a need kind of thing? I would say there's there's different levels of integrations and there's different things you can do. So I think one thing that's really small that I think a lot of projects should do is setting up a uh, you know a GPT for the documentation. Uh, I think that's one thing that's interesting. I've seen a couple of solutions for that. I've seen some good plugins with that, um, which is you know I think uh, Solana did this recently with their docs because uh, it can be tricky to sort through all the docs. So um, instead of you know having you know everyone just look through the docs, you can have a small integration with the GPT plugin, and people can just ask questions on the docs and get answers that way. So I think there's really small stuff that a lot of people can do, even if your project has nothing to do with AI. Um, there's some cool ways that you can use AI. Um, and then at the larger end, I do agree. Yeah, definitely not every project uh, should be worried about AI. For example, you know, certain projects, if you're like, you know, if you're deep into DeFi, for example, maybe you don't need AI integrations and maybe, or maybe that's something you leave up to your community. For example, like if you're building an AMM or an exchange or a DEX, maybe that's not for you, but maybe the traders will start using AI and your community start using AI. Um, and I think, but I think, I think we are going to see AI used in a lot of projects, a lot of different use cases, um, you know, everything from, but yeah, for example, if you had a trading strategies, um, you know, project, AI could be really important there. NFT projects, we're seeing a lot of interesting stuff. Um, we're seeing, um, you know, a lot of interesting stuff. I do think it's kind of become like the internet really where every business uses the internet, you know, not everyone's an internet business where you're built around the internet, but everyone uses it. So I think AI is going to be a lot like that where everyone is using AI, but there's going to be different levels. Like is AI core to your business? Maybe not. Uh, but for some people it'll be core and some people it kind of be on the periphery. Given the nature of this conversation, we thought it would be a good idea to ask ChatGPT to come up with a question to ask you. Um, <laughs> so we gave it a little background info and asked it to come up with a unique and challenging question. Oh, man. <laughs> the question is, some critics argue that the fusion of AI and blockchain is a mere buzzword cocktail designed to attract investment, devoid of substantial, substantial benefits. How would you counter these criticisms? <laughs> Very valid question. I gotta gotta give the AI that one. That is the better. Is it, this is the most humbling thing about because we've done this a couple times. Is it's like that's the best question we've asked throughout this whole interview. Yeah. <laughs> Great question. I would say, um, you know, I think there is a lot of that going on. I can't lie. There's there's a ton of that going on. We don't do it, and like. That's why, for example, like we, you know, we wanted to do something small and that we didn't want to go and say initially, you know, we're going to do something huge. And, you know, it's, you know, it just ends up being nonsense. Like, 
even major companies, like they literally just file a trademark. <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, you know, whatever major brand AI and, you know, the market's up and they're getting 3%. Yeah, there's a lot of that going on. A lot of people doing vaporware, which I really dislike. And I think this has been kind of, you know, this is kind of an inherent issue, not just a blockchain, but any industry, really. Uh, any industry that's new, any, any industry that's fast growing, there's going to be a lot of scams. You know, wherever there's money, people are going to put up scams. There's always going to be more real builders. There's always going to be scammers as well. And I think the solution to that is that people, you know, the it's still tricky. You just got to look through and see, is this project doing real stuff? You know, are they just announcing stuff for the sake of it? Or are they actually building? Um, and then, you know, especially if you're a developer, the easy thing is the easiest thing to do is check their GitHub. Uh, just, to, you know, even if you're not a developer, you can just check their GitHub and see, hey, what are these guys building? Is this real? Um, and even if you're not a developer, I would say, you know, just look out for stuff that's real, like stuff that you can try out, stuff that you can use uh, versus just announcements of announcements of announcements. So I would say, you know, I think it's a valid criticism, but I think, you know, like any criticism, it applies to certain companies and certain projects, but I think there's a ton of real development and a ton of real stuff going on. And you can just see it uh, by, you know, checking out sites, trying out AI products, um, you know, checking people's GitHub, you know, you'll see if you check our GitHub, there's a lot of cool stuff that I haven't even announced yet. And, you know, you can already see it, it's already up there. We'll have to transcribe your answer, go into chat GPT, put that was the response and see if it, if it was happy with, was that adequately answering it or not? Um, we're, we're getting close to the, the end of the conversation, but one thing I, I wanted to ask you about Navin is just when it comes to IQ.wiki, how do you define success? I mean, is it a matter of traffic on the site? How many people are accessing it? Is it a matter of how big the wiki grows in terms of how many entries or what does success look like so our kind of our mission is really to spread the word and knowledge about crypto so we really want to get this out to people in the crypto community and one of the things that i think we'll see as a marker of success is more and more people reading also more and more people getting involved contributing you know whether it's editing or just you know staking the token and getting involved that way getting involved in governance and then the other cool thing that we're seeing is, you know, products. We really want to be the number one wiki resource for the crypto community. And we want to see people using it, uh, people in the culture, whether it's podcasts or whether it's developers or people who are developing projects. So, for example, one of the things we're really proud about is recently Bond Protocol integrated IQ wiki pages into so for all of their bond markets that, you know, they'll have different tokens. For example, the IQ token is up there. And uh, for each project, they'll have their IQ Wiki link. So we really want to be the hub and the resource for knowledge for the crypto community. So I think when people think, you know, right now, everyone, when they think of price, they think of CoinGecko, they think of CoinMarketCap. We want to be so that whenever you think of, you know, crypto knowledge, whenever you want to learn about a founder, you want to learn about something, you think of IQ.Wiki. Well, I think that makes a lot of sense in terms of a mission that you're, that you're striving toward. Navin, this has been an awesome conversation. We've covered a lot of ground. Alf and I like to end every episode of Show Me the Crypto with the same three questions that we ask every single guest. It's a segment we call You Had Me at Crypto. Alf is going to ask you those questions. All right, Navin, you ready? Yep. All right. The first question, who is your favorite person to follow in the crypto space? So <laughs> I got so many, but I'll, I'll just give it a few. I'll just give it a few. So 
Uh, one of my favorites is, I don't know if this is cheating, one of my good friends, Dave, uh, DeFi Dave, you might know him. Um, he runs, uh, he's always tweeting about crypto, everything with NFTs, everything with DeFi. Um, he's a really passionate guy. I really, you know, I've worked for them for a couple of years. We used to work together at Everypedia, uh, but now he runs Flywheel. And Flywheel also is really interesting. They cover the whole Frax ecosystem. A lot of great alpha there. A lot of interesting stuff. They actually inspired us to create our uh, the community to create their own version of Flywheel, which is IQ Times, which covers the IQ ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Um, Got to shout out Sam Kazumian, uh, founder of Everypedia, founder of Frax Finance. He's the one who really put me onto crypto. So of course, good follow right there. A lot of great threads. Recently he did one about stablecoin uh, regulation and the whole SEC case. Really good thread there. Um, and now someone who's not connected to me, uh, uh, Drea, so DR3A, uh, really interesting ENS commentator, so an educator in ENS. Uh, she posts a lot of great threads about ENS and it's a great place to learn about ENS. Nice. Three solid picks. All <laughs> right. Second question. What will the price of Bitcoin be 10 years from now? Oh, man. <laughs> Long shot. Long shot this one. And we will, oh, 10 right. years from now, we will replay this clip. So Ooh, keep a lot, that a lot of pressure there. A lot of, lot of pressure there. Uh, not not financial advice here. <laughs> We're going to create an IQ.wiki page that's yeah. just now my prediction. Yeah, yeah. Oh, this is going on my wiki, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's so tough. I don't want to pull a ball G. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, you got 10 years. He had like two yeah, months yeah. or something. Yeah. So. <laughs> I don't know. Really, I think I think we could definitely in 10 years time. That's a really long time. I think, you know, I think it could become the world's reserve currency, not the world's like the world's reserve as in gold. I think it could become kind of, you know, what people use as a store of value. It's already becoming like that. We're already seeing people use Bitcoin that way. Um, I think what's going on in El Salvador is really interesting. Um, I think like I actually surprisingly, you know, even though I think his call was way off in terms of that short run, I think his a lot of his ideas are interesting of what Balaji's talking about. I thought it's really interesting that he said basically, because if one country does it in a big way, other countries are going to have to copy, right? And it's going to kind of be a virtuous cycle where one guy, one com- country goes into it, then you want to be the second. You don't want to be the last guy mm-hmm. buying Bitcoin for a million dollars. So maybe let's put it out there. Maybe $1 million in 10 years. All right. All right. I love it. Yeah, that that <laughs> is, it's the most common answer is 1 million. <laughs> But nice I will say number. it's not a common answer in a bear market. Yeah, since when our show was in the bull much. market, most common answer by far. Lately, it's more like a hundred thousand. So yeah. that's a bullish answer for yeah. a bear market. All right, third question: What is the most underrated project in the crypto space? Oh, really good question. Uh, not just us. <laughs> yeah. yeah, other than you guys. Yeah, yeah. other than that, I keep talking. Mm, yeah. uh, I really like ENS. I think it's so underrated, um, especially like what people are doing with the 999 Club. Um, pretty interesting stuff. Like people are getting ENS. The first like zero to a thousand ENS. I think the floor is like seven ETH or something. It's pretty low, which like is kind of crazy. You're seeing people still buy an ETH for like 40 ETH. Uh, you're seeing like CryptoPunks going for, you know, 50 ETH. I think this is kind of pretty foundational, right? The first 1,000 ENS digits. I think that's kind of one of the underrated projects is ENS in general. 
And I think a lot of people haven't really been put on to the digits. There's countries, for example. Like I see people trading countries for like 20 ETH. Like these are all cheaper than like top NFTs you can get. Um, And it's kind of cool because if you have like a low number, it's like one of one. And we are the really crazy thing is that a lot of these digits, even though you can use them for payments, for uh, all kinds of things with ENS, they're still selling for below domain prices. Like if you look up like a good .com domain, like let's say, you know, 999.com or 888.com, those go for millions. Like some of these domains, like we've never really seen an ENS go for millions. So I think ENS is going to be one of those things that's really underrated. It's a great answer. Navin, this has been a fun conversation. Thank you so much for joining Alf and I on this episode of Show Me the Crypto. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Show Me the Crypto. Please make sure to subscribe as well as rate and review this podcast.